Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hey, Maximizers, good to have you back for podcast 246. Kurt Mortensen here. As we take a deep dive of the world of persuasion, motivation, influence, this is Maximize Your Influence. And of course, a little housekeeping. The website's MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And YouTube and Facebook also Maximize Your Influence, as easy as possible. And the email, Kurt, K-O-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Let's take a dive today on what it takes to become a perfect persuader. Hopefully you're having a good week, achieving your goals, having a good summer, whatever it is that you need to do to put a smile on that face. I'm coming from San Diego, probably one of the most perfect spots on the earth. The temperature's always nice, always good, sun's always out, people are always happy. Well, that's not true. I like to believe that, though. Most people are pretty happy. I had a pretty good seminar out there on the perfect persuasive presentation formula. That worked out really well. It's good to get people up and speaking and having that confidence to know they can educate, inspire, and entertain while they persuade and influence. Not to mention being that close to Mexico, you get some great Mexican food, even good street tacos. So shout out to San Diego. St. Louis is next. But let's dive in today and talk about what does it take to become the perfect persuader. It's a great goal to have. I don't know if we'll ever achieve it. I'm never perfect. I'm probably a better persuasion coach than a persuader. But there's certain things we can do to start perfecting, to become perfect. In fact, after every persuasive encounter, you should have a little notebook and ask yourself, what did I do well? What could I do better? And if it worked well, put it in there. Was it a great close? Was it a great question? Was it a great analogy, a great story, a great statistic, a great testimonial? And kind of keep track. And if you're working with multiple people, you should all have powwows once a month to kind of compare notes. And so you're fine-tuning, you're improving, you're growing. That is the key to success. You know, adding a tool a week, a tool a month, whatever you need to do to improve, because there's a direct correlation between your ability to persuade and your income. And every tool you add increases your income. And some tools you might only use once or twice a year, but when you need it, you need it. I love what Earl Nightingale said. It says, you can't send a six to persuade a 10. Think about it. If you're going to go persuade, sell, negotiate with a 10, you've got to have the same skills as a 10. So back into the grind of the United States, we're coming off a big holiday, lots of barbecue, relaxing, did some boating, some lake therapy, as I call it. That would be wakeboarding, wake surfing, wake skating, anything to do with the wake Wake tubing, I guess that's a new one we can call it. And that was a lot of fun, but of course, back to the grind. And shout out to me. You can send me some questions, comments, remarks, jokes at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Love a reader email. We've been doing that the last couple of weeks. So let's do our geeky article. And this is kind of new and unique and different. Because it's my article. Actually, it's from my book, Persuasion IQ. I spent years doing research, doing intercepts, interviewing people, watching persuasive presentations, and 
One of the fun things I get to do is interview your prospect after they've lied to you, which they do most of the time. They're kind of going to say, hey, I didn't trust them. I didn't like them. They were vomiting. They were getting too friendly too fast. I've heard them all. <laughs> you haven't because most people aren't very honest with you. And so I asked these prospects, what makes a perfect persuader? Can you describe that person that you enjoy being persuaded by, you being sold by? Because deep down, people want to be sold. They want to be persuaded. They want someone they can trust to steer them in the right direction to help them solve their problems and make sure that they have support all along the way. People want that. But we've been burned so many times that we tend to resist very fast. So let's go through some of these. Again, this is the book Persuasion IQ. This will be our geeky article and content of the day. So number one. And I'm going to interchange he and she so I don't get in trouble. He kept his promises. Pretty simple. Promises are fulfilled. The persuader was honest and realistic what they promised. Of course, you've heard it. They under-promise and over-deliver, not the other way around. And part of that, too, we heard she's dependable. Successful persuaders proactively give their audience the attention they deserve. And they do everything in their power to resolve any concern or problem. They're reliable and nothing stops them from getting the job done or getting the call back. Now, kept promises being dependable, you're like, well, duh. But if you're saying you're going to do it, that's a challenge. Many people in the world of sales and persuasion say, oh, yeah, I'll get it to you by Friday. And in their mind, eh, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, no big deal. But to some personalities, if it's Friday at noon, it's Friday at noon. If you show up at 9 o'clock, oh, I'll get there at 9, 10, it's a big deal. It might be a big deal to them. Might not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to them. So if you're going to say you're going to have something, do it. Be on time. Keep their promises. Manage those expectations. Again, some personalities don't care. Some cultures don't care about time, but you got to keep your promises. If you get to say you're due to a certain time, maybe you say Friday at noon and you're just not going to make at least have the phone call or email. Hey, I'm working on it. How about Monday morning? I'll get it to you by then. I apologize. Manage those expectations instead of just not doing it. The next one we heard time and time again is they're very well trained. Great persuaders know the ins and outs of their products, strengths and weaknesses, how it stacks up against the competition. A great persuader is always the expert on the product, the service, or the idea. Nothing's worse. And I think this happened to you where you know more than the salesperson like when you go to a computer store and you ask about the computer or the software or things you know, you've done some research on or they're just guessing they have no idea. You've got to treat yourself like a do-it-yourself project. There's, there's a couple pieces here. There's your product knowledge, your industry knowledge. You have to know those and do the research and do those trainings and go to the conventions or read the industry journals. But also there's the personal development on yourself. You've heard me say this before that those that are learning and growing every day, they're more optimistic about life. They're more enthusiastic about where they're going, what they're going to accomplish. But those who aren't learning and growing every day become very negative, pessimistic, and doubtful. So podcasts in your car, I talk about all the time, books on audio in your car, not music, not talk shows, because you come across as well-trained. You feel more competent, you act more competent, because you are more competent. So product knowledge and industry knowledge, but also the other things about persuasion skills, human nature, emotional intelligence, people skills, negotiation skills, mindset, self-mastery, whatever it is, work on yourself. We already know there's a direct correlation between your personal development and your income. And I love what my early mentor, Brian Tracy, said. He said, if you read 30 minutes a day in your field, you'll become a national authority after five years. Hmm, think about it. Next one, very sincere, very genuine. Word that's been bounced around quite a bit lately is authentic. Real persuaders don't act like they're just out there for a great commission. 
They're interested in the audience. They're there to serve. They have their best interests in mind. They have the ability to show empathy. They're great listeners. They listen with their ears, their eyes, and their heart. Think about that. Their ears, their eyes, and their heart. They ask three times more questions than the other person, and they understand the law of esteem. That's one of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influence. And of course, you can get a free copy at lawsofinfluence.com. Just help me out with some shipping and handling, and I'll send you the newest edition. But think about it. Empathy, listening, questions, not treating them like a number. Those are things you've heard before, but those take some serious practice. I know you could work on listening. I know you could ask better questions. I know with a law of esteem, you could boost their self-esteem, meaning they feel better about themselves. They can see themselves doing it. You've created a great vision. You showed empathy to their challenges. They feel hope. That's what a great persuader does. And those are things like might be duh, but wow, we could all work on every one of those. We're not even close. When you master those, that really opens the doors to influence. But if you're not a good listener, bad questions, you bruise the self-esteem, it slams the doors of influence, and it's very difficult to return and turn them around. Next one, I consider him a friend. You know, taking the time to build rapport pays off. Personable, likable, friendly, good manners, good people skills. You know that people buy from people they like. People want to feel like a piece of meat, they're just getting commission. This is a law of connectivity, again, from maximum influence and magnetic persuasion. Learning to really connect, building rapport. Again, this is one we can always work on, become better at. Makes influence, sales negotiations simple. When you're a friend, there's trust. Wow, so simple. Next one, she'd never argue with us. That's kind of an interesting one. A good persuader is not so bent on making a point that she argues with her prospects. She's not consumed with her own need to be right. She knows she will not persuade by demonstrating her audience is wrong, misinformed, or uneducated. You know, basically, if you prove someone's wrong, you win the argument. You've heard me say it before. Ben Franklin's famous quote, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still, <laughs> right? So you could win the argument. You could prove that they're wrong or uneducated, or misinformed, and that's a lot of fun for some people, <laughs> but you slam the doors of influence. Now, you want to be the expert. You want to have confidence. You could bring people down the path where they know they need to change, and they might figure out for themselves they're wrong, but they figured out for themselves. You didn't have to point it out and bruise their self-esteem. The need to be right or win the argument can really hurt your ability to influence. I know it's fun. I know it is sometimes to prove some of them are wrong, but you don't have to argue. Great persuaders can lead people down the path to realize, man, I've got a problem. I need to change. This is my fault. But the prospect realizes that through great questions and using cognitive dissonance. And if you want to know more about cognitive dissonance, you go back to the archives. We took a deep dive, episodes 16, 17, 18, all on the law of dissonance. And of course, the whole archive is available for free at InfluenceUniversity.com. That's also home of our 52-week advanced PhD program. Next one, he provides solutions that work. Helping an audience visualize their success brings a persuader and audience together to illustrate how the product or service will get them there. They felt understood. We've talked about these things, but there's a couple key elements there. The solutions that work. Too many persuaders, salespeople try to force people down to the solution they think it's right. And it could be right for the prospect, but the prospect did not get listened to. They feel like they're being forced. They feel like they didn't have any options. And that is a big challenge. So a couple things here. You have to help them visualize the solution working. 
Because if they can't see themselves doing it, they're not going to do that. And some prospects need options. Give a couple different options that they feel like they're choosing. You don't care which one they choose. They're all good options for you. Do you want package A, B, or C? Never more than two or three options because a brain will explode and a confused mind says no. An overwhelmed mind says no. We've talked about that before on the show. So solutions, they see themselves doing it. You didn't force it down their throat. They feel like they have some options. Really helps in this situation because too many times we come in and say, oh, here's your solution. And they don't feel like that's their solution or they feel like you're only providing one solution and you get everyone the same solution. Whether that's true or not, it's not the issue here, but they can't feel that way. Otherwise, you're going to get resistance. Next one, she always takes 100% responsibility. Hmm. No matter what happens, a great persuader accepts full responsibility for results. What challenges present themselves, they deal with those challenges. They don't blame. They don't make excuses. They don't point fingers. It doesn't matter. That is not persuasive. I mean, that includes bad-mouthing other departments, even other companies. Even if it's not your fault, you take ownership, you don't point fingers, you make it happen, you change it up. It's all part of your mindset, but you take responsibility. And especially if it is your fault, you take responsibility. That should have happened. That was not my intent. Even when someone gets angry, say, I apologize. It's not my intent. Apology is cheap. You can say, I'm sorry. I'm going to take care of it. It shouldn't have happened. You take responsibility. You don't blame shipping. You don't blame another department. You don't blame UPS or FedEx. You don't blame R&D. You don't blame those customer service people or the salespeople or whoever it is. Take ownership because when you badmouth other departments or other companies, it puts a bad taste in their mouth and it comes across to you. So be very careful with that. Just take ownership and fix it. Whether it was your fault or not, you still need to fix it or find someone who can. Another one. I can tell he's really behind his products. Great persuaders love what they offer. They know they cannot get someone to believe in their product more than they do. They're, as you heard before, a product of the product. They have passion. They love what they're doing. They're changing lives. They're improving people. If you don't believe in your product, if you're not passionate about it, you didn't hear it from me, but you might want to look someplace else because when you're a product of the product and have passion, this is easy. Because passion, more than anything else, recruits the hearts and minds of your prospect It's very contagious. They love the enthusiasm. They love the energy. There's just something about that passion that you know your product, you love your product, you use your product. That is huge. And they sense that. They're behind it, that you believe in it, that you love it. Very contagious and very persuasive. Next one, she's honest. Well, of course we need to be honest. And I think what that means is you own up when you don't know something. You're not trying to blow wind, you know what I mean? You've built the trust. But remember we talked about trust a few, about last month I think it was, that sometimes it's okay to reveal a weakness, that everything's not perfect, and turn that weakness into a strength. Remember we've talked about that? If not, go back and review that because if everything's too good to be true, even though it's true, it's not true to them and they think you're being dishonest, even though you're being honest. Even your mannerisms when you speak and present can look like you're being dishonest and you're not. So... Even though you're trustworthy, even though you're being honest, doesn't always mean you come across as honest. I hope that makes sense. Especially in your presentations when you get all nervous, that could show a sign of deception, even though it's not true. If you're just spouting off all the positives instead of talking about any negatives or any weakness, that could also trigger dishonesty and resistance. And final one here, he's really entertaining. Visits are always a treat. 
Winning persuaders are fun. They're enjoyable. They, people love to talk to them. They feel better about themselves when they leave. They put smiles on their faces. They're full of charisma. People love to be around them. They're a, a light in the room. The presentations are lively, engaging, informative. Just people just love it. It's called edutainment. You know, I teach public speaking on a university level. I've been teaching CEOs and politicians for years on being more engaging and because people just don't want to be educated anymore, especially on a college level. As you get younger, especially as you get younger in the workforce, people want to be entertained. They want to be engaged. They want to smile. They want to laugh. They want to have fun. You could do both. There's no such thing as a boring topic, only a boring presenter. Think about it. So if they're bored, they're not listening, they don't care, uh, that would be your fault. So kind of an interesting list based on years of research. Again, that's available in the book Persuasion IQ. If you want the audios, those are on lawsofpersuasion.com. You can pick those up. But now we've waited a while for this. It's time for the blunder. Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. The blunder being one size fits all. Visiting a dentist and... There was only these little partitions between each chair, so you could hear the screaming. Well, it wasn't any screaming, but you could hear the screaming. But the person next to me, the doctor, was going into their pitch, the upsell. And dentists don't think they sell, but they have to sell, whether it be whitening or, yeah, you got to get that cavity filled or come back in six months. It's all about persuasion. And this dentist was sharing all the facts, did all the vomit, and had this standard pitch. And you could tell he had done it thousands of times and it was smooth probably a little too cheesy a little too smooth a little too polished because sometimes that's revolting well not revolting maybe repelling to people as they listen to it and i was listening to it i was thinking about it mm, that's an interesting question what would i say to that and here's another part of that blunder not only was it too polished and too robotic but then when he came into my room i got the exact word for word pause presentation questions the whole bit. And I just had heard it word for word. And when you hear something exactly the same like that, it causes a lot of resistance, number one. Number two, when somebody sees you're coming or has already heard your presentation, they've already built up the resistance. It's kind of like you almost haven't surprised them. Like on a subway, if you ask somebody for their seat, they're three times more likely to give it to you than if they see you, hey, can I have your seat? No. 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 Or even a beggar. People walking by, it's easier for you to walk by. Meaning, if you don't have the element of surprise and they know exactly what you're going to say, what you're going to ask, what you're going to do, they're going to build up resistance to that and you're going to be anti-suasion and we don't want that. So think about that. Is your presentation always the same? I mean, you got to adapt to the person, the situation, ask the right questions. Now, if 80% of it's the same, that's okay, but you still need to adjust to adapt. They need to feel like you're talking to them. You're not just some robotic pitch that you give every single time so that is the blunder don't do it get better don't be in denial thanks for being here today tell your family and friends like us on facebook on youtube twitter we're at influence max find us because every week we're revealing different tools and aspects of persuasion motivation and influence so again thanks for being here strive to become that perfect persuader the person that has mastered influence and go out and persuade with power 